0: All right, if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the book of Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2. And as you're turning, again, I do want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers in attendance. Um, I have for the last three years that I've been pastor here, and this would be the fourth sermon that I've given on a Mother's Day. Uh, I want to, you know, recognize the significance of today with a message specified particularly toward the ladies among us, but this doesn't mean that men can just sit back and take a nap. Um, one year ago, uh, in fact, the Saturday before Father's Day, a friend of ours um, asked me, she said, Jared, you got your sermon ready for tomorrow? I said, yeah, it's going to be. I forget what text I was preaching on, speaking about what it means to be a godly man. She said, that's great. "He said, but you know what takes courage, especially in our culture today, is to preach about what God says about being a woman. And that stuck with me for a year. That stuck with me for almost a year, because it does. Because our culture says everything that the Bible says about a woman is wrong. Our culture is the complete antithesis of what Scripture is. And the Lord has really been dealing with me about this. Dealing with me so feverishly about it that Jesse and I, 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 I brought the idea up and Jesse is kind of taken off running with it. But we are planning for a small-scale women's conference fall of the year here. Um, Jesse has already began... Um, trying to line up uh, other ladies to come speak because we live in a day where women are under attack. The culture attacks women. And now the culture attacks women in, 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 in a variety of ways. From what they say that a woman should be, how they should dress, how they should conduct themselves, up to things that we have seen within the last couple of years that now it takes a man to be a woman. And we need to turn the tide with that. And our young ladies need to know that God says that there is more required of a woman than just to be an object of desire. that's what Titus chapter 2 tells us. It stands in stark contrast to the culture. But as you're turning to Titus 2, let me give you a brief introduction to this letter from Paul to his co-laborer. He sent Titus to Crete uh, to get in order the churches uh, on that island. His first task was to appoint elders in every city. These men would need to meet the specific qualifications demonstrating the moral characteristics of Christian maturity. They needed to be able to teach sound doctrine, and they needed to be able to refute those that tried to contradict that sound doctrine. Paul warned Titus of false teachers and he warned Titus of false converts that he would encounter that would profess to know God, but whose detestable and disobedient deeds denied the reality of their claims. That truth applies just as much today as it did then. The church is still in need of godly men to teach and lead, to teach from the scriptures and lead the church. And there are still, still a lot of people that profess to be Christian, but their lives deny the reality of that claim. And in the second chapter, Paul tells Titus to teach and encourage people in various demographic groups the character traits that they should have and develop since they were living under the grace of God and looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the third chapter, Paul points out some of the specific actions and traits that should mark the lifestyle of the believer. And then he concludes with some personal concerns. But Paul had already addressed the subject of older men in verse 2, and he will address the subject of younger men in verses 6 through 10. But for our purposes this morning, we're going to examine what Paul writes to Titus concerning both older and younger women. So look with me at Titus chapter 2, beginning with verses 3 through 5. And I want to speak to you about the qualities of a godly woman. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Hear now the word of the true and living God. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may instruct the young women in sensibility to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be slandered. Let us pray. How much gracious Heavenly Father, we've read your word, not man's, penned by man, but impressed upon that man by the Holy Spirit of the living God. God, help us, Lord, to put our own selfish desires out of the way and to Focus in on what you would have us to glean from this text this day. Things that point out things to us that not just for our ladies, but for the men as well, that we all walk accordingly after the footsteps of the Master, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is to him we dedicate all things and ask for his grace and to help us in understanding your word. For all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. What we just read is in very much stark contrast of what the culture tells us about women to this day. I've made this statement on several occasions, and I'll make it again here. There was a time, there was a time, not not even 40 or 50 years ago. There was a time, which I'm almost 40, but I'm 37. But there was a time when a woman entered the room, men would stand up out of respect. There was also a time that when even the most foul-mouthed men would cease their profanity-laced conversation when a woman entered the room. But now our culture has deteriorated so vastly, so immensely, that now not only do the men continue with their foul-mouthed, vulgar conversation, but now the women, now a lot of women are just as foul-mouthed and vulgar as the men. The feministic movement on the surface said that it says that its goal is equality for women. That's supposed to mean equal pay and overall equal treatment. That sounds good on the surface. That sounds fine, but what, the, but what the movement has done is destroy the culture. Feminism is poison. It has destroyed marriage. It has destroyed the family. It destroys the home. It has destroyed God's design for women. Because of feminism's push for supposed sexual liberation, now young women are encouraged to dress provocatively. Clothes designers sexualize young women and even little girls in the way they design clothing. You want to do something that's very difficult today? Go try to buy clothes for a young lady. And have to, you have to search and search and search And if you find something, it's, it's usually set up by a Christian that is dedicated to design clothes for modesty, and you really have to pay quite a bit for it. Feminism encourages young women to live promiscuously and told that is a good thing and that it is a celebrated thing. Young ladies are told that their value is determined by how many likes they get on their TikTok and Snapchat videos. And the content that some of these young ladies put up ought to be classified as pornography. This is what the culture tells our young ladies how they should conduct themselves in order to obtain freedom and liberation and in order to have supposed control over their lives and enjoy true fulfillment. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 44, For when speaking about the devil said, for he is a liar and the father of it. The devil is the father of lies. He seeks to counterfeit and destroy everything God has created. And he influences this fallen world system with his lies and display things that are falsely glorified uh, in a falsely glorified light. It's the apple, it's the fruit that hangs upon that tree with the lie that it will make you be like God. When all it did was drive them into sin. Things promoted by this evil world system, this satanically influenced world system, never make good on the promises that they make. The promise of joy and fulfillment and happiness Yield only brokenness and pain. Why? Because they're rooted in sin. And this passage in Titus 2 is part of the things which are fitting for sound doctrine that Titus was to teach, as he's told in Titus 2, verse 1. This morning I'll try to be somewhat brief and concentrate on the practical encouragement to fulfill Paul's admonitions and uh, pursue the character, the character traits that he lists, the Holy Spirit impressed upon the Apostle Paul to speak directly to ladies in, verse, in these verses. And I'm going to break from our usual outline structure and just walk through what it says. Just go through it phrase by phrase. First, look what he, he says older women. He, he begins verse 2 by addressing older women. What does he mean by that? What, what, what does he consider older women? Women that were beyond childbearing age. He was addressing this to ladies who had walked with the Lord for a considerable amount of time and have raised children, and those children are now grown and have families of their own. He's talking to ladies who have what else is going to be listed that we're going to talk about. They have them as fruit bearing in their lives. The Greek word that is used here uh, is simply the feminine form for the word elder, which Paul used of himself when he was in his 60s in Philemon 9. And the Zacharias used it of himself and his wife when they were past their normal childbearing age in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. Greek literature used the word for, for those as young as 50. And in the context of this passage, it refers to those who are old enough to have experienced raising a child. You know, the Bible takes the opposite view of aging that our culture does. Today's culture emphasizes youth, puts emphasis on young people, that somehow, for some reason, the older generation is passé and needs to be pushed to the side. That's, in, that's infiltrated the church. That's infiltrated the church with the hip, cool, real, relevant churches with their real, relevant worship styles and their real, relevant messages. They're catered to the young people. Today's culture emphasizes youth. Such a negative stigma that the culture has created around getting older. And particularly, you know, some some ladies don't want to be forthcoming about their age. Some get greatly offended if you you ask them how old they are. I'll admit, I don't care for the gray hair I got on my head. I wish it wasn't there, but I'm beginning to embrace it. I worked hard to get it. Job chapter 12, verse 12 points out that wisdom and understanding reside in those who are older. Leviticus 19, 32 and Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31 state that honor belongs to those who are gray-headed. Remember that, kids. <laughs> According to the Lord, the latter years should, can and should be some of the most productive in your life because that is when wisdom and maturity have equipped you with the most to give. Think about it. This, this is our, our older ladies. You have been where some of our younger ladies have not been yet. You've walked that walk. You've been there. You've bought the t shirt so they need you to pour into them. They need you to pour into their lives. There is so much that our young people, that, our, that the younger ladies can glean from our older sisters. So much, right? There's this, there's this popular saying, I don't agree with it, that it says it takes a village to raise a child. No, it don't. No, it don't. It takes a God-fearing God-honoring mother and a father working, living in a God-honoring, Bible-centered, Bible-believing church, and that church partnering alongside of that family, edifying one another, encouraging one another, pouring into one another's lives, lifting one another up, helping one another up, helping one another out. Bearing one another's burden, there is so much fruit that we could bear that we could glean from one another. The uh, uh, the this is the this is this is the point that uh, that Paul is pointing out in this passage. Older women of godly character should be training the younger women to be the same. Look at the next phrase: reverent behavior. The first characteristic mentioned is introduced with the term likewise, which connects it back to the character traits that's described for the men in verse 2. Men were supposed to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Well, so are the ladies. The ladies are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, and in love, and in perseverance. All of these are summed up for the older women in being reverent in behavior. That word reverent refers to that which is fitting and proper for what is sacred. The word behavior refers to both actions of behavior and the demeanor of attitude. The full description, of, the full description describes the behavior befitting the priest in the temple. Everything that he did was out of reverence. So these are the actions and attitudes of holiness that are to be lived out in daily life. There is a Latin phrase called quorum Deo. It means living before the face of God. Men and Christian men and women both are to govern ourselves as if God Almighty is watching every move that we make, every word that we say, and sees every thought that we think. Because guess what? He does. He does. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30, which is probably the main text in a lot of churches this morning, helps define the reverent behavior when it sums up that the life of of the godly woman, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. I tell my son this. When you... Come to the age to where you're looking for a wife. Find one that looks that fears God. Find one who where the Lord Jesus Christ is the first and foremost thing in her life, and that's what a young lady should do when she looks for a husband. Everything else is secondary, job because it uh, uh, goals because if Christ. Is first and foremost if they fear the Lord everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall into place. So a woman who fears or reverences the Lord will act accordingly in her daily life. She's careful with her speech and considers her actions because her love for God governs her behavior. A woman with this characteristic would fit the description Paul gives in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 5 through 10 of a godly widow. She's devoted to the Lord. She rejects worldly enticements, is faithful to her family. She's generous to strangers, humble in service, and compassionate to those in distress. She has true piety and puts holiness into the practice of her daily life. You see this in Anna in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. You see this in Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, 36 and 39. They're examples of a godly woman. Here's the next instruction. The next instruction that says not the, for the godly woman is to not be a malicious gossip. Not be a malicious gossip. The Greek word for malicious gossip, gossip that's used there is the Greek word diabolos. It's often, used, it's often used as a name for Satan and often translated the devil. The word means to slander, which is to falsely accuse and maliciously accuse by making untrue statements. That is is one of the characteristics of the devil. He is the father of lies and accuser of the brethren. That should not be a characteristic of any Christian. Paul warns older women about this because the increased time available after raising their children could easily be squandered in idle talk, degenerating into gossip. 1 Timothy uh, 5, verse 13 says, And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle but also gossip and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Men can be just as guilty of that as women. To be malicious gossip. To tear people down. Why do we want to tear people down? Why would we? Only one reason, because we've got some shortcomings, maybe some sins in our closet that we haven't cleaned out yet and we won't put the light on somebody else to get it off of us. The godly woman will be marked by what Proverbs says about gossip. She will not take part in it. Proverbs 26 verse 20 says, for the lack of wood, the fire goes out. And when there is, where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. She will keep personal information that is shared with her to herself. There are some things you can't keep to yourself. If it regards somebody's safety, you've got to tell somebody. It would be sin for you not to. If it regards to somebody's health or safety. But if someone confides in you about something, let it be between you, them, and the Lord. Let it be between you, them, and the Lord. And that's something that all of us need to pay attention to. Proverbs 11 verse 13 says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. The second, the next thing, the next phrase that we see says not enslaved to much wine. That should go without saying. Not enslaved to wine. Not enslaved to drunkenness. A little background here that helps is Paul's admonishing older women to not be enslaved to much wine because until popular pain relievers such as aspirin and ibuprofen and acetaminophen were invented, wine was often used to help alleviate aches and pains. And so there was a danger of one becoming enslaved to it. And so that's why uh, uh enslaved means to be held and, and, and controlled against one's will. Proverbs 21 20 and verse 1 wine is a mocker, strong drink is a rager. He who is intoxicated by it is not wise. That goes without saying not to be not to be under the control of anything, and not only alcohol has to be listed there, but it, it is an umbrella statement because you also have to add drugs illegal and prescription. Some people have traded the liquor store for the pharmacist and think just because they've got a prescription for it that they're okay. They're just as addictive, just as deadly, can be just as destructive. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. The godly woman, the godly Christian is not going to use illegal drugs, abuse prescription drugs, and will be cautious about anything that affects her ability to think and experience life. They'll flag you down going down the road to sling you some medicine. And the things, and, and they give it out without even, what, what are you already taking? What are the, and, and, and you take it, and then you have to take three or four other things to counteract the side effects of the original prescription. And all of that, mesh, you know, mixing together in, in your body, in your bodily makeup, is going to affect your internal organs and can affect your mind, can affect how you think. We are not to take anything that will alter how we think. We're to always be in sound mind, with our minds full of the Word of God, thinking about the things of Christ. Now, here, people in, 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 you know. Pentecostal type churches in situations like this, and when they, when they talk about getting into the Spirit, and well, oh, I just let my mind go. That's counter, that's counter to what God says. We're not to just let our mind go, we're to fill it with Him. We're to fill it with Him and His Word. Next, it says teaching what is good. Teaching what is good. Paul next gives a general description of what older women should do, they should teach. We're in a day now where, where, where the, the, the culture and the, the feminism has infiltrated the church and women have, want to be in the limelight. They want to be behind the pulpit, a lot of them. They've got, a lot of them have gone from writing books, writing women's devotional studies, to not just speaking at women's conferences, but to preaching sermons on Sunday mornings. And it can... It, and so if they're going to stand in the pulpit, they're going to stand in the pulpit and usurp the authority of the word of God there because as I've talked in weeks past, God does not call women to preach. That's not a bad thing. God just has separate roles for men and women when it comes to the church. But when a woman stands in the uh, usurping the authority of God, standing in a pulpit to preach, she's going to be wrong in other avenues as well. I've never met or known of a woman who, who claims to be a pastor that did not affirm homosexuality or anything else, affirm that abortion is a good thing. It, 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 if, if they're wrong in one area, in a big area, they're going to be wrong in other areas as well. They go hand and hand in hand. But God does command women to teach. Teach what is good to who? Other women. Other women. Teach what is good. Teach what is noble. Teach what is excellent. Teach what is, is honorable. She should instruct others by word and deed in the characteristics that mark her own life. I said earlier, it it is a mistake to sideline older people. It's a mistake to just think that now only young people should just run everything. We need both generations active and helping. The context of of, uh, a godly woman's teaching to others will will be that, that anyone can can glean from her influence. And it doesn't have to be in a classroom setting. The vast majority of instruction in what is good by older women will take place in personal interaction with others. This will happen in every kind of situation imaginable. But Paul specifically wants them to teach and encourage younger women. Younger women need to have their lives poured into by their older sisters. Daughters need to be poured into by their mothers. Those mothers still need to be poured into as well. Those mothers still need to be poured into as well from their godly older sisters. All godly women have something that the the younger women need to glean from. And as Christians, whether we be male or female, we don't ever stop learning. We don't ever stop growing. We don't ever graduate from this thing called Christianity until we die and go to heaven. Next, he says, encourage. Next, it says, says, um, encourage. Young women in their responsibilities. Note the verses four and five are clauses of verse three, not separate sentences. The young and women are not to be left on their own to develop the characteristics listed in four and five. The older women are to help them develop these qualities. Note carefully here the twofold means of accomplishing this. First, older women are to instruct the younger ones about what is good. They teach them in their responsibilities according to the word of God. And second, they must encourage them in all those various responsibilities. However, however the, the word is that you want to use it. Encourage, admonish, train. What does that mean? It means disciple them. Women need to be dis- uh, younger women need to be discipled by older women. Younger men need to be discipled by older men. Mature Christians need to disciple those in the faith who aren't as mature. It's mature women training others to be like herself. For fully trained disciples will be like their teacher. Luke six forty, and all Christians are to be are to become like Christ. Romans eight twenty nine. This is a priority that God has set here. This is a priority that God has set. And I, I I preached for weeks about serving. I preached for weeks about being involved. I preached for weeks about using your spiritual gift to pour into some pour into the lives of others. So let me be blunt here. Some of you may need to take a hard look at what you were doing and determine and determine if you were doing what God wants you to do. You may need to spend some time studying the scriptures and praying and talking over things with someone who 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 else someone else who is godly to determine if you are really doing what you should be doing and also praying about what might need to change. The body of Christ is left weak when there are so few older women teaching the younger ones how to be godly in their daily activities of life. Somewhere somewhere in the last 50 years or so, a twisted idea developed here, predominantly here in the church in America that older ladies retire and the younger ladies are supposed to pick up the slack. That's tragic for not only does it... That is tragic for not only becomes a hindrance to those younger ladies keeping their priorities of a husband and children, but it also means that those that should be the most wise are not sharing what they have to offer, either because they've been pushed out of the way or they've willingly dropped out. Paul next lists out uh, specific characteristics and responsibilities that he wants older women to teach and to encourage the younger women to be and to do. So this application applies to all ladies. It says younger women. He goes on to say younger women. Likewise, urge the younger women. What does Paul mean here about the younger women, those who are of childbearing age? And even coming coming out of childhood and just about to enter into uh, marrying age or uh, those who are young mothers. The older women are to teach and help bring the younger women to a sound mind in developing these specific characteristics. But that also means that the younger women have to be able to take instruction. That's the rebellious spirit that is at the heart of feminism. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I I make my own decisions. I'm going to do what I want. No one wants to take constructive criticism. No one wants to to be uh, Instructed or shown how to do something properly The mindset of the culture is I know what's best for me and nobody can tell me different And then when they fall on their face It's not their fault It's somebody else's All of us Younger women with our older sisters Younger men with our older brothers We need to be able to take Instruction Instruction take instruction because some of it somewhere through gleaning through it is something that you can profit from greatly. Love their husband is the next instruction. Love your husband. Instruct the young women in sensibility to love their husbands. The first area that Paul lists for younger women to be taught and encouraged is to love their husbands. This is very much in stark contrast to society 50 or 60 years ago couples got married at young ages they got married in their late teens and early 20s that's why you hear about people being married for 50 years or more now marriage is seen as a hindrance and something to be avoided altogether, or at least put off until later in life now women are getting married much later into their 30s and into their 40s if they even get married at all God's design is for men and women to be united under the covenant bonds of marriage and not living together with a no-strings-attached lifestyle. And here in this passage, God's design is for older godly women to teach younger women in the faith to love their husbands. This is a much deeper than just romantic love. This is much deeper than just just feelings-type love. A committed, godly wife will strive to be her husband's best friend. And I will add, a committed, godly husband will do the same. He will also strive to be his wife's best friend as well. The fact that this has to be taught is not easy for a variety of reasons. Men and women are often, you know, speak different dialects, often speak different languages. I've learned that out firsthand. I'm still learning, almost 14 years of marriage. I'm still learning that I've got to phrase things differently. I've got to be careful how I put things. It may be in my mind, nothing wrong with it, but it may upset her. So we have to take one another's feelings into account. And it's the same thing from the from her perspective. She might not think that what she just told me was short and off the cuff, but it could just right went through all you know every bone in my body you know so there's this growing process that husbands and wives have to learn to grow together, and that's why the older women are to instruct uh, older godly women are to instruct the younger women hey i've been there i've been there, was married for all of these years and this is what worked for me. This is what didn't work. Husband and wives are to love one another as Christ loved the church. But you read Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. There's more in this Bible for the man to be held accountable to than there is the woman. There's a lot riding on a Christian man's shoulders. That's why God gave us godly Christian wives to help us, to support us, and to love us. And Paul, God, through Paul, is encouraging Titus to teach, to, to encourage the, the, the older women in his church to teach these young ladies how to properly love that husband. Love him even when it's not something you want to do. I know there have been many times over the last 14 years I have not been lovable all the time. Praise God, she's loved me anyway. She's persevered. She's persisted. She's still here. And I thank God for her. The next phrase we see is love your children. She is to learn to love her children in the same manner. Some of us look at that command and it doesn't make sense. Why you got to tell a mama to love her, love her kids? Why would God have to command mothers to love their, love their children? It makes sense in this culture because in this culture, our Weird. the culture tells women that children are a hindrance, it tells everyone children are a hindrance. Pe- young people are encouraged not to get married at all, or especially don't get married at a young age. You're taught that children are a hindrance. If you have cho- if you have children, you will not be able to fulfill all your desires and all your goals. And the answer that is given is not to abstain from what God permits, only to be in marriage. That's what God commands, but that's not what the world promotes. The world says kill what comes of that relationship. Society says kill the child. The parents commit the sin. They don't want to take responsibility for the consequences, and the child receives the death penalty. But God tells us children are not a hindrance, but an inheritance. They are a blessing and not a curse. And that is why God exhorts mothers to love their children. And loving children is easy in some ways, but can be a lot of work in others. Sometimes it's not, it's not easy to love kids as well. Some of you know this from having children of your own. You love them. You love them because they're yours. You love them because God gave them to you, but you'd like to grab a hold of them and just shake a fire out of them. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Young and get out of line, and you just want to shake them, you know. What is wrong with you? But that's what the love that that is being spoken of here a love that is more than just emotional the difficulty is reflecting the need for women to learn to do it from older godly women certainly children can be hard work and be frustrating but psalm 127 verse 3 plainly states that they are both a gift and a reward they are a blessing and not a curse and they will be a blessing and not a curse as long as you follow what the Bible says in raising them. Sadly, that's lost on our culture. With broken homes, fatherless homes, blended homes with kids from multiple relationships, and there's the, the, Christ is not the center of any of it, where there's no reverence for God and the children suffer. And the children suffer. And children are raised never nowadays never knowing what the word "no" means. They know that if they just, the kid knows how to work their parent and if they just say the word or ask the question 3,242 times, and once they get to that point, they know that they'll get their way, right? There's never a ceiling that stops them from, from, from getting out of hand. This is the love that God is commanding for us for, for mothers and fathers to have, children need discipline. Children need discipline. They need parents to love them enough to tell them no and to teach them right from wrong. A mother's love disciplines and it comforts. A mother's love seeks what is best for the child according to God's standards, not what the child would like and not what society would approve of. Beware of the standards that our society sets in this area. A lot of what is advocated as loving is the opposite of what the scripture defines as loving. The love of a mother is not to be defined in fuzzy feelings and words, but rather in a but rather a firm but gentle hand that guides, corrects, comforts, cares, and nurtures. Then next to be sensible, sensible. Younger women are taught to uh, and encouraged to be sensible. You, the word here is also used to describe the needed character in elders in chapter 1, verse 8, older men chapter uh, 2, verse 2, and is the root, wor- root of the word uh, for encourage in verse 4. Younger women need to develop soundness of mind and become level-headed with, dis- with a uh, disciplined sense. Such sound, sensible thinking results of being prudent, well balanced, discreet, and self controlled, in contrast to the silliness, emotionalism, indiscretion, and selfishness of the immature. That's the stuff that we see blasted all over television, just and, and all over social media. It's just this immature, petty stuff. One of the big hot button issues in the culture right now is the fact that Kim Kardashian put on a dress by Marilyn Monroe. Who cares? Who cares? And I'm sorry, but if I have to see anything more about Johnny Depp and that ex-wife of his, I'm going to vomit. Who cares? He says, that's why the Lord says, be sensible. Those things are silly. They make no sense. They're, they're, we're shown it because they want to play on our emotions. Pure is the next phrase. Pure. That's something that's sorely missing from the culture. Pure. This applies to married and unmarried women alike. It refers to a, a, sense of, a good sense of modesty and a healthy sense of even shame. It's saying or doing, th- doing anything, including dressing in a way that might cause a man to lust. Listen to these words. The Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Likewise women to give women to adorn themselves with proper clothing modestly and discreetly not with braided hair gold or uh, pearls or costly garments but rather by means of good works as befits women of making a claim to godliness folks we're getting into summertime and this is the time where you have where you go to the grocery store and you have to put blinders on where people walk around half naked That's what the culture says is okay. It's not okay for a young lady to go out into the public in a a spaghetti-strap shirt and shorts that rival underwear. That's not appropriate. And a godly Christian woman should never think that going outside the house with that on is a good idea. Because no, you can't control what what another man might look at you and think. But you're supposed to be representing Jesus Christ in how you dress. And it should be an apparel that does not bring attention to you but brings attraction to Christ. That's what real beauty is. That is what real beauty is. It's not what's in the pictures of a magazine or on pictures on the internet. It's in purity, Holiness it's represented in the heart of a young lady in a woman who wants to worship the lord who wants to glorify the lord and she does so in the fact that she doesn't wear stuff that's going to put her in the spotlight that is a woman who fears god and one who should be praised in general the immaturity of a younger woman results in her trying to attract attention and gain the approval of others by dressing and acting ways that are inappropriate. And I, Jesse tries to tell young women that, that we have uh, uh, gone to church with down at Willis and other places that are doing things that are just horrible. Horrible. Putting pictures out there for profit. Awful. Any man that you would attract like that is not one that you want. Any man that is attracted to that that would be attracted in that fashion is not one that is want is not one that is going to treat you and love you like Christ Jesus. That's the message that we need to be telling all of our young ladies, all of our young our young relatives. That's the message that we that needs to be promoted. Contrary to what the culture says, workers at home—that's mm, a hot one. Our society would be a lot different if it were like it were in the fifties, if if most of our mothers were were still at workers at home, as opposed to having to be uh, out into the public and working public jobs as well. The proverb the lady in Proverbs thirty one that she she had other entrepreneurial. Uh, activities. Proverbs uh, Proverbs 31 verse uh, 16, um, she had other activities outside the home, real estate, farming, verse 16, manufacturing, sales, verse 24, and the relief of the poor. But what Paul is emphasizing here is that the priority is to be the family as it was for the lady in Proverbs 31. He is emphasizing that the, 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 the priority should be her family. Her first and foremost priority should be her family. Few women are able to do all the ladies all, all that the, the Proverbs 31 woman did. For some, just keeping the home is more than, more than enough to keep them busy. The key here is to know your limit and not go beyond it. When something outside the home starts interfering with that priority, it's gone way too far because the home is where the wife and mother can demonstrate her love for her husband and children by providing for them a refuge from the world. The home is where mom can best demonstrate her love for, the cho- for children by nurturing them, teaching them, and instilling them in uh, godly character. The home is where she can demonstrate hospitality and devote herself to good works. And the home is a protection from predators and other sinful influences of the world. Don't be fooled by the, fem- by the feminist rhetoric the home is not a place of bondage, and neither is God's role for women. Sin is bondage, and that is all that the feminists can really offer. Liberation from God and freedom from His standards is to become a slave in bondage to sin and Satan. Proverbs 14 verse 1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tear it down with her own hands. What kind of house are you building up? The next phrase is kind. That's obvious. Obviously, a godly godly woman should be kind. All Christians are are supposed to be kind, kind to one another. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 35, it it says, Even God is uh, uh, kind to the ungrateful and the evil. He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So the woman that desires to be godly will also learn to be kind as well. And here's the very big one, the big hot button one. Be subject to her own husband. Culture doesn't like that one. A godly woman will will also be subject to her own husband. That irritates the feminist crowd who rejects God's wisdom in favor for their own. The word here is the word hupotas, which is translated submit or be subject to. And in the context refers to a wife who places herself under the authority of her husband. This is submission, which is done willingly, not obedience, which is done regardless of your will. This is something that is given. This is something that is yielded. God has placed the responsibility of headship upon men. There is more accountability placed upon men from the Bible than that of women. Men are to lead the home men are to lead the home. they are to lead the family. Women are to submit to their leadership, but that husband has to make absolutely certain that he is rightly submitting to Christ himself and is properly leading. Sin has corrupted mankind so that men are often derelict in their duties. They abdicate responsibility. They, 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 they go to work and they say that's it, if they're even there at all. And the godly woman desires to keep order. So older women who have learned how to hold their pride in check encourage their, and encourage their husbands to fulfill their role and then follow them can help out. This is um, relatively easy to do if the husband is following the Lord but she's to still pursue godliness even if he doesn't. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse six, 1 through 6 says, the, uh, Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husband, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. A woman's first allegiance is to God. Second allegiance is to your husband. And as long as that husband does not require you to compromise the principles and the commands of the Bible, follow his lead. It won't always be easy, but follow his lead even when you know he's about to do something stupid. He'll learn. Hopefully he'll learn. And by that that submission, that godliness, he'll be corrected and brought back to where he needs to be why is that important look what it says verse 5 at the end honoring the word of god that the word of god may not be dishonored this is the purpose clause explaining why a young woman needs to develop these character traits the honor of the word of god is at stake the word dishonor is often translated blasphemy when a christian does evil or fails to do what is right then god and his word are dishonored before all Worse than the discouragement that sin brings to other Christians is the blasphemy that it provokes in non-believers. Non-Christians judge the validity of the gospel that we say we believe by the lives that we live. It's been said that, you know, you show me your redeemed life and I might be inclined to believe your redeemer. When a, Christian, when a Christian woman follows God and fulfills the role that He has given her, then her light will shine and others will see her good works and glorify her Father in heaven, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. What the Bible commands here is not popular. I haven't gotten a lot of amens, and I didn't expect to. It's opposite of, mo- of, of, of most of society. But the Christian life's not about being popular. It's not about fitting in with society. It's about the glory of God. For the Christian man and the Christian woman, your life is not about you, but about how God will be honored in and through you. If you are not in submission to God, then you need to be. Otherwise, you will never develop the characteristics, and your life will be one of selfishness that will dishonor Christ. If you are in submission to God, then these characteristics will be your desire, and you will honor God's work. Conclusion and closing. If you fit Paul's description of an older woman, then ask yourself the following questions. First, does your character fit the description here? Second, are you teaching what is good? Third, are you encouraging the younger women in their various responsibilities and helping them develop godly character? If not, why? If not, why? What is hindering you from keeping the priorities that the Lord has set before you? But if you fit the description of a younger woman, then ask yourself these questions. Does your character fit the description here? Are you working to develop these characteristics in your life? Have you developed relationships with older godly women to learn these character traits and be encouraged in them? If not, then ask. Ask. Sometimes people are just sitting with gifts and talents, and things to share. but All they need is just a little prodding. All they need is just to be asked. And the honor of the Lord is at stake. Let's pray. God, our Father, we truly grateful and thankful for your word as I have unworthily tried to unfold it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your gift of godly mothers, of godly women, and how they have served us in our homes, loved us, Help us, Lord, as this small little bitty church in the eastern part of Henry County in the southern part of Virginia. Help us, Lord, in our efforts, in the way that we live our lives. Help us, Lord, to be different from the culture. Help us, Lord, to show women what true beauty is. Not beauty that is derived in the culture. There's beauty that is displayed in the Word of God. Help, Lord, our younger men, our sons, our grandsons, to pursue that true beauty. Not the facade that will lead to destruction of what's on the outside, but the true beauty that shows that God Almighty is first in her life. Help us all, Lord, to glean from one another so that we would all be better Christians and to walk better after the footsteps of Jesus. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.